Today we're talking about prayer and power. Uh, last week we, we've been going through Colossians very slowly. So we talked about the need to believe the message. And it's this message that is already true, already secured for us in heaven because of what Jesus did. And now Paul's going to take that message and he's going to springboard into a prayer for this Colossian church. So if you've missed a little bit, the Colossian church is a church that Paul had never met. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to this church. And he wants to let them know the good news that you heard about Jesus. It is in fact that good and then he's going to pray for them in a very powerful way. So today, it's really going to center on prayer and the power that it can bring about in our lives. Uh, by a show of hands, does everyone in here understand what I mean when I say prayer? Okay, I'm just going to throw it out there. So prayer is this. It's not talking with these and thous. You don't have to use 16th century King James language, although you're free to do that if you want. Prayer is you talking to God. And God will listen to you. And sometimes he doesn't answer in the timing that you want. But here's one of the ways that we know he speaks, through his word. Some people pray and then they go silent and they just wait. And I don't know that God speaks that way to very many people, but God does speak through his word. So when you pray, you should pray with your words toward God and then open this book and say, God, speak to me now through your word and begin reading where you are in your Bible reading plan in the book of Psalms. But that's, that's the snapshot of what prayer is like. Now, I've had a love-hate relationship with prayer because I always want things done about 10 years faster than God seems to want to do them. And in one particular case, um, I, was, I was feeling far from God. I wanted to connect with God in a new way. My wife had taken, uh, I think, just our one son at the time to Hawaii to visit her family, and she left me alone in California. So like every uh, pretending bachelor does, I went and I spent $500 on camping and outdoors gear because I'm outdoorsy. And uh, I brought it all home. I laid it out. I had hiking axes, hiking sticks, a new sleeping bag that was extra long so I could actually sleep in it. And I, didn't, I, I broke every rule that you're supposed to do when you go out hiking. You're supposed to tell people, here's where I'm going. Here's when I should check in. If I don't check in, I've been mauled by a bear. I didn't do any of that because I'm not that intelligent in that area of life. I just said, hey, this gear looks good. I've got some boots. I put some Scotch guard on them. I'm going to go climb a mountain in the middle of the desert and meet God there. So I got my Mitsubishi Lancer. His name was Magnum. I called him Maggie. And we were going down the windy roads of Southern California. And then I broke out in the San Bernardino, beautiful mountains everywhere. And I'm just waiting for God to show me the mountain where I'm going to pray. And he's going to meet me there like he met Moses because I deserve that because I'm self-centered. So I drove and I looked at that mountain. Nope, didn't call my name. Looked at this mountain. Nope, didn't call my name. Saw a mountain and it just said, come at me, bro. So I said, I'm coming. So I put on my new Scotch-guarded boots. I got my backpack. I got ready to climb this mountain. I didn't know how long I was going to spend up the mountain. I didn't know if I was going to go over the mountain. I didn't do nothing. All I knew was that I wanted to meet God there. And for some reason, after all my theological education, I didn't understand that God could meet me wherever he wants. So I said, God, I'm going to meet you up there. You can leave me alone until I get all the way to the top. So I start going up this mountain. And let me tell you, for those of you who have never experienced a mountain because you live in Florida, um, climbing a mountain is, is not easy. You may think it's easy because you've watched a few episodes of Bear Grylls, but it's not that easy. And you may think you can find food because you saw Bear Grylls stick a, a piece of wood into a termite hill and he could eat that for protein. I promise you I could not find termite hills. Everything that I thought I should eat, I probably shouldn't have eaten. Uh, it was bad news. 
But I got to this top of the mountain finally. I was out of breath. I was winded. And I had my inhaler. So I'm that guy. I'm like, you know, screech from Saved by the Bell. I'm at the top. I made it. Victory. God, now I'm here. I'm listening. Because I wasn't listening the whole way up the mountain. And uh, there was nothing. And I start praying. I got my Bible open. I'm praying. God, I'm praying the Psalms. I'm singing songs. And I felt like there was nothing. So then I'm getting mad. God, I came all the way up this mountain to be holy for you. So I start throwing things at the sky, like God's like, nice try, only 37,000 more light years, you know. God, why aren't you answering me? And I got so tired from this trip up the mountain, I decided I'm just going to lay down, and if God doesn't want to talk to me, I'm just going to sleep here. So I laid down, but I was just in my jacket, my backpack. I didn't take anything out, really, and I laid down, and I'm praying, God, I'm here, I'm waiting. God, I'm here, I'm waiting. And I fell asleep. And the next thing I know, there's something stinging my face. Because I had fallen asleep in this position, and in this position, a colony of red ants had already taken residence. So I wake up, and red ants are all over me. They're biting me. I'm, now I'm cursing toward either the red ants or God. I don't know. It was all blur. And I get mad at God. God, fine, I'm leaving you up here. And I walk back down the mountain, slowly, down, 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 got to my car. And I got in my car, and God said, are you ready? I'm here. In my car, God, you could have saved me the trip up the mountain. You could have saved me the red ant assault to my face. I was in my car for two hours to get here. Why didn't you say, hey, then? Now, I can't explain how prayer is going to work for each one of us, but I, I can tell you this. If you are not cultivating a prayer life, your life will not be as connected to God as it ought to be. In this digital age, I have so many cables attached to so many things, and my cables break, and they fray, and they stop working. Right now, my wife and I have two laptops with one charger. This is a brilliant. It, it just is a recipe for marital frustration because my laptop's at 9%. Hers is at 90 She needs the charger. I don't know why. Because the one cable is bad. And if you're not praying, the cables of your life are going to start to fray, and you're not going to get the power that God wants you to have. You're not going to get the endurance that God wants you to have. So here it is. Here's Paul's prayer for you, and here's what I've been praying for you all week. And so, verse 9, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is what Paul's praying for them. He's asking God that the Colossian church would be filled with the knowledge of his will. I can't tell you the number of times I've prayed that God would just accept my will. I want God to accept my plan for my life. And when I was going up the mountain, I was doing it on my terms. I was saying, God, I'm going to meet you up there. This is where we're going to hang out. God, these are the things on my list. Here's my one, two, three. Here's my ABC. When Paul prays for his church, what I prayed for you this week is that you guys would be filled with the knowledge of God's will for your life, which oftentimes is very different from your will for your life. And, and when I use the word often, I'm using it almost sarcastically because it's about 99.99% of the time, his will is going to be different from your will, whether in timing or content of your life. When Paul prays that they will be filled with the knowledge of his will, he prays that they will have all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
Now, when you say walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in a context in the South, we automatically think of everything we should be doing and everything we shouldn't be doing. That's just the way that it goes. Because there's a heritage of church history in the South that says walking worthy means you obey all the rules that good Christians obey. But I need to point out that there are plenty of things that Christians don't obey. We're good at obeying some things, and we're terrible at obeying other things. Uh, Let me give you an example. If if we had a small group meeting, let's say tomorrow, uh, and it was at my small group, Soma, we meet here Monday nights, and, and if we were having a small group meeting, if we came, all came in, and somebody came in, and they were just dragging away on a cigarette, they were just hitting that Marlboro Red, everyone would judge them. We'd be like, brother, sister, you cannot smoke this cigarette. You're going to get lung cancer. You cannot, it's bad for your body. Your body's, don't you know your body's the temple? And those are Maybe okay things to say to people because lung cancer, uh, I don't like cancer at all. All cancer sucks. And uh, you don't want people to mess up their bodies. So we would judge them for smoking. But here's the same thing. The same night could unroll. We could do the Bible study. We could have a prayer request session later on. And somebody in the prayer request could say, hey, I have a prayer request. Could you please pray for my neighbor's husband? Because I think he's having an affair. And here's where he lives. And here's how long I think it's been going on. Could you please pray for this person? It's a prayer request, so it's not gossip. And we gossip about people in prayer requests. And you guys all know how much I don't like that. It's the gossip prayer. And it's so slimy, it feels like a used car salesman. No offense if you're a used car salesman. But it's this sense where we we cast out one sin, and we don't talk about another sin. Where we say, I don't want you to, to smoke, to drink, to cuss, to chew, to go with girls that do. But you can gossip and be angry and hide your sin from your wife and your kids and your husband and your work. And and it's like there's these acceptables and unacceptables. I want you to know today that anything that is not pleasing to God is unacceptable. And he wants us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But here's the key. It's not going to happen if I simply say, stand up here and say, stop worrying. That is not going to help you, especially if you happen to have the struggle of worrying, right? If you're a worrier, you know, if I say, stop worrying, All you're going to do is worry if you're stopping worrying enough. That's how that works. Instead, you have to find something of God to expel the worry from you so that you can be fully pleasing to him, bearing good fruit. So let's talk about this a little bit. First of all, God's will is pretty simple. God is all about his son, Jesus. Jesus is all about sending the Holy Spirit so that more people can give glory to God who then always points to Jesus. It's this beautiful picture where they're constantly exalting, loving, lifting up each other. On the sign out front, the new signs that we have, it says, the chapel at Fishhawk, all about Jesus. I wish I could have got it the other way where it just said, all about Jesus, come to our little church. Because I want people to know that it's all about Jesus. And somebody said, hey, isn't the HOA going to get on you because it says all about Jesus? And then I responded, if they are angry that I'm all about Jesus, then I I probably can't work here. Because that's all I'm going to talk about. And that's all God the Father talks about. So when you get the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his will, if it's not centered on who Jesus is, what Jesus did for you, you're probably not dipping into God things yet. You're probably still just playing with religious games. Because when God is going to give you his knowledge, his will, his desires, they're going to look very similar to his, which is, I love Jesus. It's all about my son, Jesus. Everything was created by him and through him. That's next week and for him. And when your life begins to become consumed by that, it will change some of the ways that you live outwardly. 
So worthy is this weightiness that you would live in a manner that is deserving of God's love towards you, now living back for him, fully pleasing. Uh, The Bible says that uh, many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Now when you put on Christ, when you're baptized, when we have people up here and we bring them down into the waters, we say you're dead to your sin, you're raised to life with Christ, you are now clothed with Christ. The same Jesus that when he was baptized and came out of the water, water, the Father said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. So if you're ever wondering, am I pleasing God? Am I living for God? Ask yourself, am I living according to the baptism identity that I took when I went underwater? Have I made that decision where I've said, yes, I'm dead to my sin. I no longer have to sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I no longer have to be afraid because God is my dad. I no longer have to be enslaved to sin because my sin has been paid for. Is that the identity that you're living in? Because if it is, then you'll be filled with God's worthiness. God will be pleased with you, and you will bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you come into Jesus Christ, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and the Spirit will bear the fruit of Jesus in your life. Out of uh, Luke 6.45 says, The good person, out of the good treasures of his heart, produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know what's in a person's heart, just listen to them talk for a while. If you want to know what somebody has deep down, listen to the way that they either have anger or grace or love or joy or peace or worry, and you'll begin to know, okay, that's in their heart. They have worry that's welling up because they're in constant fear that this change might happen or this person might get elected or this is going to happen to them then you know, okay, those words are telling me there's worry in their heart. Likewise, if you meet people and they are just talking about the strength that they have, the endurance that they have, the love that they have, you can know that those things are in their heart. And the question is, how do I get the good stuff in my heart and get the bad stuff out of my heart? Because I don't want to be a worry, anxious, unpeaceful person. I want to be resting in Jesus. I want to have this peace that I see this person have that I don't have. Well, here's, here's some good news. When your life gets covered by Jesus, and your spirit gets filled with Jesus, amazing things begin to happen. So let's take a few sins just for fun. Worry, because we've talked about that one today. Religion says, don't worry, it's bad. Now that's true. There's probably no one in here that loves worrying, right? If I took a poll, said, how many of you love to worry? Nobody would raise your hand. Even fewer people would raise your hand if I said, how many of you love to be married to a worrier? Because That's even worse, I think. If you're not a worrier and you're married to a worrier, you're all peaceful and enjoying yourself watching Seinfeld and they're over here freaking out about something. It's not good. And religion said, don't worry, it's bad. Don't worry, be happy. But here's here's what the gospel wants to tell you about not worrying. It wants to take away the label of simply it's bad and it wants to supplant that. It wants to replace that with why you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry because the God who made the universe can handle your Netflix subscription bill. You don't have to worry about your mortgage going under because God, God, the God who owns everything, everything that you see, everything that you experience, everything that you hear, God manages it all, is your loving Father. And he is working in your life to get you to a place where you love Jesus more or more about him so that if the house crumbles, you still have Jesus. If something terrible happens in your life, you still have Jesus. And That's how you'll supplant worry. Not by saying, don't worry, it's bad. By saying, 
here's why I don't have to worry. And you go to the Bible and you say, God, I'm going to look up every verse about how big you are, about how strong you are, about how much you provide, about how much of a loving father you are. And then you'll realize, now I'm not worrying because now I'm getting more Jesus in me. The Spirit's working in me. And it's testifying that God loves me. He's going to take care of me. So these problems that once seemed so big now seem very, very small. How about acceptance and significance? We're all craving those things. Man, did I cry this last week. I was watching um, Ellen DeGeneres. I love Ellen. It's one of my favorite shows to watch. And then one of my favorite UFC fighters, Ronda Rousey, was getting interviewed on Ellen. And, and in my life, I'm always listening for moments where I hear people needing Jesus and not understanding that it's Jesus they need. So Ronda Rousey, if you don't know her, she's like this gnarly uh, M- MMA fighter. I'm pretty sure she could beat up everyone in this room at the same time. Like, she's incredible. But she got knocked out, her first loss ever. It was a tearjerker, and it was sad. And she's on Ellen, and Ellen basically just starts asking her, how did you take the loss? And she starts to tear up. And she said, when I was in the hospital room, I thought, I'm, I'm going to end it right now. I'm going to end my life because this is who I am. Who will accept me now that I've lost? Who am I if I don't have this? So I'm a blubbering mess watching YouTube on my phone in my living room. <laughs> she needs Jesus. And she's waving that flag that says, here's where I need Jesus. I need someone to tell me that Jesus is going to be my significance, that Jesus will love me, that it doesn't matter if I had a belt and lost it. It's just one more gold belt. Go buy one from Nordstrom and turn to Jesus. And then she said something that broke my heart even more. She said, but then, but then I looked up and I saw my man. And I knew I had to keep living for him. So let me tell you what happens in a pastor's brain when you hear this interview. All you hear in this interview is somebody craving acceptance, somebody craving significance, something longing to find their worth in their career, and their career crumbles literally with a a punch to the face. So I'm thinking, she needs Jesus instead of that career. The Jesus is going to get her through. Jesus is going to show her that she's loved and accepted and part of a family that can never get taken from her. But instead of looking from the career to Jesus, she looked to another man, a human man, her boyfriend, and said, it's for him I have to live. Now, if I could tweet at Rhonda, I'd say, Rhonda, that dude is eventually going to let you down. And if she says, no, he won't, then I'll say, yes, he will, because I've been around enough couples to know that no man can be Jesus for his woman and vice versa. And, and in that moment, she, she said, this God let me down, so I'm going to turn to this God. And, and I wouldn't ever smack a mic out of her hand because she'd beat me up. But I just wanted to say, just look. Look, this, is, this let you down. He's going to let you down. The next career is going to let you down. And so many of us in here are on that same path. We're not on a, a national platform, but you're looking into things to give you satisfaction that you already know will let you down. You already know that the next house is not going to fulfill you because the last 10 didn't. You already know that the next car, you're going to feel cool for three months, and then it's going to rain like 300 times a day, and you're not going to want to wash it, and you're less cool than you were three months ago. And your significance and your approval and your acceptance is tied to these temporary things that never satisfy, yet we're always stuck on the wheel of following and pursuing these things, and they slip through our fingers, and we wonder why we're left unhappy. Because we're waving that flag that says, I need the gospel right here. I need the gospel to be my significance. I need to understand and press into the truths in the Bible where Jesus says, I I pleased God the Father and now I'm clothing you. 
I'm putting myself around you. I have the power to conquer sin. If you're struggling in a sin, you say, how do I get out? The same power that resurrects Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And I know some of you are scared to ask for it. I ask for that power all the time. My kids, they are emotionally needy right now. The age they're at, it's like God just strapped a Red Bull to their intestines and they are always going. So sometimes when I get home after a long day, I do this. I, I park in the driveway and I'm thinking to myself, I don't have enough energy to do this. I'm going to go in. My wife needs me to do the tag team thing out. I just want to tag team, get knocked out of my pillow. So I, I go into my door, and at my old house, I had like a little concrete planter thing outside, and I would always drop it there. So now I just I do this. Before I go into the house, I say, God, I have all of this worry. I have all of this stress. I literally am going to be the worst father and worst husband of the year award today. I need the power that raised Jesus from the dead to fill me right now so that I can make it through this next two hours. I know what you're thinking. Why would you ask for resurrection power for two hours? Because I'm that needy and broken. Because without that, I, I'm a snappy, grumpy, hungry, hangry dad. I need the power that raised Jesus from the dead to come in and stop the sin from coming out of my mouth. I mean, you guys know I sin enough while I'm preaching because my mouth moves before my brain says, stop. Somebody, I don't know what this totally means, but somebody said I'm like the Deadpool of preachers because I can't control what I say. I don't know what that means. I don't get it. I need to go see the movie apparently because something's true and it's worrying me. I don't kill people. That's what he does, I thought. But apparently he's mouthy. I don't know. But, but if I don't ask God, I need this power, God, Otherwise, the sin that's, that's still residual on me, even though you've washed me, there's this residual sin. If I don't get this power, I'm going to go in and it's going to be sin. It's going to be sin. It's going to be sin. And then they're going to sin. Then I'm going to get a spoon to stop their sin, but not my sin. And it just never works. So I, I need that power. You need that power to find ourselves rooted in Jesus. Some of you are looking for your purpose in life. I'll tell you, it's easy to get caught up in the purposes that the American dream lays out for you. Because the purpose is, you're in high school, you got to get a certain grade on your SATs or something. And that pressure for me was like a far cry from reality. My high school graduation was, D's get degrees and you better pray for a D, otherwise you're not going to walk. And I did, praise God. And then you get out of high school and what do you, you have to go to college. And that's super stressful. You know, they say that now the average high schooler has the stress of a 30-year-old from a generation ago. I mean, these kids that are in college, they're under so much pressure. I don't even want to talk to them because I'm afraid I'm going to send these 20-year-olds into nervous breakdowns, um, which is why they go to symptom centers, by the way. It's why they, they heavily medicate why certain drugs are on the rise, because it medicates this need to deal with the pressure that they deal with going through college and then young adult life. Because then you go through, you get through college, you pay thousands of dollars for this piece of paper, and then your parents are like, get out of my house, you've been here long enough. And you say, no mom, please, just one more load of laundry. I've never done this. And then, and then you go out as a young adult, and you find yourself more confused than ever, because your whole life has been aiming, you've been looking for this purpose, and you think that the American dream is the purpose, but God says, no, I've got a much greater purpose, and for some reason we don't discover it because we go through high school, we go through college, we become a young adult, and then every young adult, I was a young adult pastor at the church I came from, every young adult there says the same thing. I wish I could just go back and be a kid. And I say, don't we all? I just want to play with my friends, take a nap, have someone feed me, and then my mom has to wipe my butt again. 
And my wife always reminds me, well, that time's coming again. It's just not going to be as fun as the first time. <laughs> Play with my friends, drink my insure, and somebody's got to wipe my butt again. See? I don't know. But, but here, here's where that lets us down. We think it's going to give us fulfillment every step of the way it doesn't. And then we find ourselves reaching old age, wondering if we accomplished what we should have accomplished, wondering if our life was fulfilled enough. And I've been with enough people on their deathbeds to know that people get to the end and they're often full of regrets. Now, I'm not one of those Pinterest memes that's going to say never regret everything because you all are messed up and you need to regret some things. But what I will say is that if you're caught up in the purpose of the American dream and you're in phase one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever you're at, it's not too late to take a step back and say, wait a second, I'm only getting more stressed, I'm only getting more worked up, more anxious, I'm, I'm not finding the peace for which I was made. And to ask God, God, why do I exist? Why am I here on this planet? What does it mean to be filled with you living here? In the simple phrase that I've said before, and I'll say it 100,000 times again, because we make Christianity sometimes too complex, sometimes too simple, sometimes too complex, we are the body of Christ. So all that you have to do, if you want to know if you're living in God's will, look at what Jesus did when he was in his body on earth. Read the stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then do what he did. Go around offering people forgiveness. Go around offering people help. Go around serving the poor. Go around pouring out from your life, connecting with God the Father, raising up other people to connect with God the Father, and then do that process. And when you get locked into that rhythm of living for God's purpose, so much more will fall into place in your life. Your purpose will become clear and rewarding despite how old you are, despite what phase you're in. Jobs will no longer be about a paycheck. It'll be about a vocation where you get to do something incredible for the world to bring about human flourishing, to, to restore brokenness in creation. Whether you're a salesman, whether you're a cop, whether you're a nurse, whether whatever you're doing, a creator, an app creator, all of these things can create beautiful good for the world that we live in. And all of these things can be God-aimed, God-focused. And all of these things we can do through Jesus and in Jesus and for Jesus. When you get to that point, your life, will bring glory to God while simultaneously giving you greater joy. There's been this lie in Christianity that, that there's, it's like you can either have the fun life or the God life, and they're mutually exclusive. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I have a lot of fun, and I, I have a lot of joy. When my life gets hit by hard things, it's pretty hard to knock me off my rocker because I have Jesus under me, around me, and in me. But, but it's never a joyless trek. That's why I don't like joyless Christians. I don't get them. I don't get you. If you're here, I don't understand you. It's okay to be you. I'm not judging you. I still love you. I just don't understand it. I don't understand how we could sing a song about the joy of the Lord and you look like that emoji with the straight mouth. I don't understand how we could sing a song about no longer being slaves and you're just like, I'm semi-pumped about it. And you give me the Trump face. I don't get that. Because I look around and I think, we are, we are literally no longer slaves. The sin that weighed me down, Jesus said, it's mine. You don't have to sin anymore. When you do sin, come, you keep staying right by me because I'm going to keep clean. You stop sinning, but I love you. You stop sinning, I love you. We're no longer slaves. I don't have to leave here and I'm not going to be burdened that I'm going to be drawn to a sin unless I stop being drawn to Jesus. But Jesus says, when you do that, I'm still here for you. 
And, and I'm thinking, and how do we sing these songs? And just Sometimes I have to sit in the back because I don't want to freak you guys out. Because I didn't grow up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in no church. But for some reason, some of the songs we sing, I want to like jump and dance. And if you've never seen a six-foot-six man dance, you don't ever want to see it. I'm not built for fluidity. I'm built for rigidity. But it's so good because God's given me so much. Every person that I meet that I have this feeling, there's a texture that comes off them, they love Jesus, they want to serve Jesus, they tell everyone about Jesus. I say, what is it that made you the way you are? What is it that made you want to read your Bible, to want to pray, to want to share the gospel, to want to live for Jesus? They all say the same thing. How couldn't I? He's done so much for me. That's what you need to get to. That's the place you need to find yourself. Not the, I stink, I'm going to try really hard. You've got to press in and say, God, I need to see you. I need to see you. I need to know you. I want to know all about you. Paul's prayer goes on in verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy. Ah, Give thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Sync up with God. Get his power. Be living according to his glorious might. How many of you need more patience? Oh, do I ever need more patience? I am... I try to be patient, you guys. I give it my best. I give it my good old Boy Scout attempt. But my patience level has like decreased so much over the years. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if this is like, I don't know if you age, you get less patience. I always thought I'd get more. But uh, I, I think now what happens is I had so much patience when I was younger because I didn't care about things. And now that I care, my patience level is like shrunken, especially with kids, with close friends and family. I see people self-destructively destroying. They're just destroying their life. And I used to be like, God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. Let me pray for you. And I think maybe I've been jaded because I've been in a pastor for so long. Now I see someone going down a self-destructive path. I'm like, grab you by the collar. <laughs> just stop it. Just stop. I won't smack you unless I know you well. I know all you really well, by the way. I stalk your Facebooks. And, and my patience has gone down. So I've been asking God lately, God, I need this patience. Patience that comes with joy. I need enduring patience. Patience that endures things. Because, because if anyone deserves a smack, it's me. Because the fruit of the Spirit, I know it. I know these things. I read the Bible. I spend every day, I'm just in this book. So I'm reading more things that I'm not obeying. And I'm like, oh, crap. Oh, no. I'm not obeying that. Oh, no, this is not good. But God never grabs me by the shoulder and goes, smack, smack. God says, you're right. I'm glad that you're seeing how much of a abysmal failure you are, but I love you so much. I clothed you with my son and I filled you with my spirit so that now when you die, you stand before me and you say, did I do all right? And he'll say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant, because when he sees me, he sees Jesus clothing me. If you're in Jesus, he looks at you. He doesn't see your mug. He sees Jesus clothing you. The son of God whom he loves with an everlasting love is around you, in you, through you. So when you die, if you're freaking out, what if I get there and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Psych, go burn forever. He's not that God. He's the God that says, if you're in Jesus, you're, you've pleased me. And he's also the God that not only says that at the end of our life, but right now, if you're clothed in Christ, if he's your covering, if you're, his spirit's in you, here's what will change in your life. When you go to sin, you should hate it. Because Jesus hates sin. 
when you're drawn to replace God with something else, when you're drawn to find your identity in something other than Jesus dying for you, when you're drawn to those moments, in that moment, you may still sin, but you, we need to get to the place where we can say, I just don't like it anymore. Because Jesus doesn't like it. It doesn't make sense for me to like it. And I do this with a hundred things, a hundred times a day. And I, I share with you my struggle. Someone recent asked, recently asked me, why do you share your sins from the pulpit? And there's two primary reasons. One is, I don't believe that there's such a thing as a super pastor. If you ever go and you hear a pastor who makes you feel inferior to him, just leave. Just say, this guy's got more sin issues than my old guy who confessed them all. And then two, I need you to know that it's okay to confess your sin because Jesus is light. And he wants to bring your sins into the light, not to shame you. That's what humans do to each other. When sin comes to the light in humanity, we shame them. Ooh, look at what you did. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus brings sin to the light, and sin is composed of darkness, so he obliterates it, and it's done. And he says, I see you. You're in the darkness. I'm pulling you out of the darkness. You're mine. Don't go back to the darkness. And so often I do this. I'm, God's holding me. He's hugging me. I feel good. It's warm. It's light. I'm praying. God's answering back. I'm not on a mountain getting bit by red ants. And then I look back and say, but God, it was so much fun. And he says, remember how bad it felt? And I say, no, I don't remember. And then sometimes I say, fine, go ahead. And he puts me in one of those retractable dog leashes. And I go out and I eat from the sin and it's bad. I say, yeah, it was bad as I thought it was. Take me back. Will you take me back? He's like, I kept you on a leash because I know how foolish you are, but I still love you. This is where we've got to come to in our relationship with God. Because verse 13 says, He has, past tense, delivered us from the domain of darkness. He and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We have a new king. Our king is not sin and death. Our king is Jesus. He did this for us in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I love the way that there's a paraphrase of the Bible called the message. I love the way that it says verse 13 and 14. God rescued us from dead end alleys and dark dungeons. He sets us up in the kingdom of the Son. He loves us so much. The Son who got us out of the pit we were in got rid of the sins we were do and got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. I love that. Because we're in a pit and God pulled us out. And then he says, Don't you're not doomed to keep repeating these things. We're not doomed to do what most of us do. When I talked about Ronda Rousey, that was just an, an illustration for all of our lives because we go from one fake God substitute of a career to another one of a relationship to another one of a new identity to another one of being this successful. And we go from one to the other to the other and we keep asking ourselves, we fall asleep at night, will this never end? Will I never just find the peace that I want that I know exists somewhere and I can't find it? It's because you're looking in the wrong troughs. So my prayer for you this week has been this prayer that Paul prayed for this church. And if you begin to pray this way, if you read this prayer this week, look at the words. Pray that you're filled with the knowledge of his will. Pray that you get spiritual wisdom, not earthly, worldly wisdom. Pray that you would walk in a manner worthy. Say, God, make me walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And make it very practical. Don't think that your situation is too small for God to pay attention to. When I go to a beach... I'm a young male. I have testosterone. I pray, God, help me to walk in a manner worthy of you and loving my wife well. And I've lived in the beach my whole life. It doesn't change the fact that there are girls everywhere, and every year bikinis get smaller and smaller and smaller. I am terrified when Savannah grows up. They're going to sell her a rubber band and say, get tangled in it and go swim. 
I just don't even know. So I pray. I pray when I get home that I'll have patience with my children. I'll love my wife well. I pray before I start reading the Bible that I would see into the lives of you all and that God would bring specific needs to mind as I'm thinking and praying and, and trying to apply this and open the gate between eternity and our temporary world so that we can get a glimpse of Jesus and how much he loves us and walk away feeling blessed, loved, and secured knowing that God pulled us from the dead end ways and we don't have to go back to them anymore. Pray for your kids this way. Pray for your spouse this way. I've never got more feedback from wives than when we had the Holy Spirit sermon and wives said, how do I get my husband to do things? I say, you just whisper to God, Spirit, go get him. And you let him loose like a pit bull. Do that for your kids and your husband. Pray that they'll be filled with God's stuff, not this world's stuff. And the more that you do that, as the old hymn goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wondrous grace. And as it goes on, it says, as you look to Jesus, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. And that is our prayer, that we would be God-focused, Jesus-focused people, that our identity wouldn't have to be wrapped up in lesser things, that we could find our prime identity, our ultimate identity in who Jesus is, what he did for us, and live according to that. Puts all the other things in perspectives. Gets rid of these weird ways that we treat different sins. And we realize I don't have to do any of these things that God doesn't like because it's, these are all about finding false identities. And now I, I have one who gives me his, and that's the only one that I need. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen everyone in this room with all of your power according to your glorious might for all the endurance that they need to get through their Monday morning with patience and with joy. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us, to be, to be our replacement, to be our substitute. God, for those in here who have never followed you, for those in here who are asking questions about Christianity and wondering what this is about, I pray that they would know that it's all about your son, Jesus. And they would start at that point and work their way out from there. God, help us to cut through the religious jargon and have real talk with real authenticity and transparency because you've paid for it all. I love you. We'll talk to you in a bit.